name is Howard Bromwell, and this is my wife, Kelly, and we've been members of Christ Church for seven years. We pray that you and your loved ones are practicing safe and healthy actions during this pandemic. Good morning. This is a wonderful time in which to praise the Lord. We are all awoke this morning. We're alive, and I don't know about you, but for the past four months, I had something I've never had before. Time with my loved ones. It has been really great spending all that quality time with my husband, my parents, our children, and for those who have grandchildren, I'm pretty sure you miss them terribly enjoy time with them. So remember this, we are all in this together and God's going to take care of us. But mostly, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I miss my in-person services. What about you, babe? I miss the donuts. <laughs> God bless. Have a wonderful Sunday. Good morning, Christ Church. Welcome to worship this morning. This is indeed the day the Lord has made with or without donuts, and so we are, are celebrating this opportunity to be, be here together. My name is Larry Ludi, and it is my absolute joy and privilege to be working with you and worshiping in our time of worship this morning. A special and warm welcome to those of you who may be live streaming with us for the very first time. You have found a wonderful place to be if you are watching on the Christchurch page, please be sure to say hello. One of our amazing hosts will be glad to greet you and, and welcome you. And if you are on the uh, Facebook side this morning and watching us on Facebook Live, please follow the link in the chat. Our worship this morning begins with our call to worship. And I invite you to participate at home as we come together under the banner of God's Word. Let us worship God, our light and our salvation. We desire to live in God's house and to seek God in this holy temple. We have come with shouts of joy to sing and to make music to the Lord. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Teach us your ways and make straight our paths in this hour of worship and holiness. Let us sing praises to the Lord our God.
Let us come to the Lord with our prayers of petition for forgiveness. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living, ever-loving, ever-redeeming God, you are the God of all creation. Heaven and earth bow before you. Lord Jesus, forgive us. We have failed to love you as you have commanded us to love. We have not loved our neighbors as much as ourselves, especially those who look different, sound different, think different than, than we ourselves. We have left so many things undone, unsaid, broken, torn. We have turned our heads, turned our eyes, and turned our hearts from those you have sent to us to teach and to show us your grace. We have not listened to each other. We have not sought to understand each other. We have not seen each other as being made in your image. We have chosen the path well-traveled and not learned to walk with our brothers and sisters who struggle for justice and visibility and voice. We have sought our own comforts before seeking the comfort of others. We have fallen short, dear Father, of your favor. Lord Jesus, we are in need of your grace. We can do nothing but stand in need of your forgiveness. And so we come now before you, knowing that you and you alone are the architect and the author of our hope for salvation. Humbly, dear Father, we confess to you our sins, those we know, those we do not, and we seek your forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. This is how much God loves you. He gave his one and only Son, and this is why. So that no one need be unconvinced of his unconditional love. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God did not go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is forgiven. Amen. i
Let us pray. Holy God, mighty Lord, blessed are you, holy are you, loving are you, faithful you are. Generation upon generation have, have come to you in, in prayer, seeking your grace and your favor and your promises. So too, dearest Jesus, do we humbly now, yet confidently, raise before you our hopes and our passions and our laments and our desires. You know our hearts before we even find words to give them to you. So now take our prayers, Holy Spirit, and make them acceptable offerings before your throne. We pray, we pray Father, for those who are ill, for those recovering, exposed to COVID-19, for those suffering from any disease or trouble. Bring them healing. Bring them strength. Bring them patience and that peace that surpasses our feeble understanding. Make them whole. We pray for those who serve tirelessly in, in healthcare, science, medical professions, that they may not grow weary in well-doing, and that they may know and feel the love and the appreciation of all. We pray for those seeking justice, seeking to be heard, seeking to hear. We pray for those who need to listen, who need to be included, who need to know that they matter so deeply to you and are included in your story of love and salvation. We pray that in all we do and all we say, that we may communicate openness and, and a loving presence and your unconditional love. We pray for those seeking peace, for those who serve the cause of peacekeeping and safety, for first and second and third responders, for those who seek first to understand and then to be understood, for those who need to be brave, for those who need to find their voice, and for those who need to be silent. We pray for wisdom. Help us to know when and how and where to rise up and when and how and where to silently stand strong. We pray for the poor. We pray for our children and our grandchildren. We pray for those with addictions. We pray for those who fall on their knees in despair. We pray for those who face hunger this day. We pray for those who are lonely. We pray for the imprisoned. And dearest Lord Jesus, we humbly pray for ourselves. For all those prayers that we are too frightened to say out loud, for those prayers that you have answered, for the collateral blessings you shower upon us in all circumstances, and for the freedom to worship and praise you in our hearts and our homes. We pray for those who grieve, for those who have lost loved ones and, in who, and who in these difficult days still wait for the opportunity to place them into your loving arms. For those who eagerly anticipate that great feast in your heavenly kingdom when all of your saints will gather together before you to sing hallelujahs and eternal praise. Point our eyes to that perfect place of unconditional, unending love where you unite us for all time in the arms of our Savior. 
And Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to bend our hearts and imaginations first to you. Teach us to love each other as you have loved us. And teach us, blessed Redeemer, to boldly and in one voice pray that prayer that you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is indeed the day the Lord has made, and we do have a few notes as uh, we gather together once again in the name of our, our loving God as we, we think about the events and activities from this coming week. Uh, Worship Wednesdays, uh, I'd like to, be, I'm actually thrilled to remind you that we are going to continue Worship Wednesdays through the month of August. For those of you who had the opportunity to be with us on Wednesdays, you know what a delightful experience this is. You are invited to come and find your place in the parking lot. They start at 6.45 and they run to about 7.15 on Wednesday nights. Uh, bring a lawn chair um, or a blanket, something cool to drink. If you'd like to, um, like to uh, um, speed up on some updates, watch for the weather. Please be sure to text, text Worship W to the number that is on your screens, and you can get up-to-date announcements in terms of what's happening with, with weather. We will be socially distancing as we gather on Worship Wednesday, so we ask you to be sure to wear your, your mask when you come. People can also um, join us um, on, on campus and even stay in their cars if you're uncomfortable coming out in, with, the, with the crowds of people. Uh, the, the service at the Oakbrook campus is broadcast on an AM radio station, and so you can tune in and, and join in with us at that point in time. Or if you prefer simply to stay at home and worship with your family and friends, you can watch from your backyard or, or your living room as we will also be on, on Facebook Live, and you can connect with us there. That's Worship Wednesdays. I'm also excited to uh, remind you of a very special event coming up this afternoon at, at 3 o'clock. Our summer sounds, our Broadway shows, our, our tunes and jazz standards is going to be once again broadcast. Uh, we couldn't gather this spring for our annual Pops concert, so our amazing team of, of musicians and, and professionals worked tirelessly to bring this great music into your home. The concert includes music from uh, Christ Church of Oakbrook's most talented singers and pianists, Broadway show, show tunes, which will include selections from South Pacific and the, the Sound of Music and Carousel and Ragtime and Hairspray and Hamilton um, and, and more. So, so um, jazz standards will include Blue Skies, That's Life, A Nightingale Saying in Berkeley Square. It is really just a wonderful opportunity to, to uh, join family and friends, um, have yourself a, a, a watch party in your living room, host a Facebook Live time this afternoon at 3 o'clock. There were some technical issues which we apologized for last evening, but today at 3 o'clock it's going to air once again, so be sure to to tune in. Needless to say, our, our number one question as we, we continue through the summer is when can we all come back again? And when is church going to reopen for worship? 
Um, we are, um, as our team prepares uh, for this reopening, and there are lots of groups meeting to talk about it at our, both our Oak Brook and our Butterfield campus, um, we would like to spend time making sure that we are listening. And so I would like to invite you to participate in a survey that we are doing where we simply are listening to your concerns and thoughts as we get ready to come back for in-person worship on our campuses. So please um, text the word survey to the number on your screen and you will be invited to, to share some thoughts about, about what it is that uh, is on your mind as we think about coming back to this holy place for in-person worship. Continue now with our video. Give thanks for the good days. When the traffic lights all turn green, when promotions come and bad habits are broken. Give thanks for warm meals and the company of friends. Give thanks for undeniable blessings and clear direction. When the music floods your soul and the worship songs flow without effort. Give thanks for coffee and clothing and hope that the two never mix. Give thanks for the mother who battles daily in prayer, for the father working three jobs, for the brothers and sisters who build blanket forts and read bedtime stories. Give thanks for sons and daughters and all our family who remind us of what truly matters. Give thanks for the stranger who holds the door open and the lifelong friend who holds you when life is broken. Give thanks for the hard days, for the phone call that brings life crashing down, for jobs lost and friendships fallen into conflict. Give thanks for the anger that reminds us we are human and the tears that express more than words can ever fathom. Give thanks, though the pain is overwhelming, your energy spent, your spirit fallen, and your only option is to fall to your knees before your Holy Father and cry out, God, please help me. For in that moment, his power is made perfect. His love is made evident. He becomes your strength your comfort, and your salvation. Give thanks for the power of redemption, from Genesis to Revelation, for the endless promises of a God who would rather sacrifice his son than give up on his children. For nail-pierced hands, for brilliant dawns, for the cool touch of rain and the simplicity of a quiet day for all things great and small. Let us give thanks. Give thanks. In this very moment, the love of God is made evident. I would like to invite you to give thanks this morning again to God through the, the giving of our tithes and our offerings. There's a variety of ways where you can, can do that exactly um, by, by uh, connecting to ChristChurch.us or by texting uh, CCOB or Butterfield to 77977. This is the day that our God has given us. Let us rejoice and give thanks. Thank you. 
Good morning and welcome once again to worship this morning. I know Larry and our musicians have already led us through a wonderful time, but I wanted to extend my own personal welcome as well and let you know how glad I am that we are here worshiping together. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Sue Ann, and I serve on staff here. And I am married to another pastor on staff whose name is Eric, and he is actually going to be bringing the message at our 1045 contemporary service today as we wrap up our six-week sermon series called Life Together on the book of Philippians. In fact, we're gonna be covering chapter four today, and so now would be a great time if you wanna grab your Bible or open on your uh, app, on your phone, or even click on the Bible link on uh, your viewing screen, you're more than welcome to do that so you can track along as we walk through Philippians four together. The reason I actually bring up that Eric is preaching at our contemporary service today is because Eric and I actually don't usually preach on the same Sunday. I think in all of the years that we have both been preaching at this church, this is the first Sunday that we are preaching side by side. And so this week, it was kind of fun to collaborate and to talk a little bit about what we wanted to share this morning. And so I was at the Butterfield campus earlier this week, and I uh, was working on the sermon. I thought would actually had what was a great idea. And so I walked into Eric's office, and I said, hey, I have this story I want to share this weekend, and I, I wonder if it would be okay with you. And so I told him what the story was, because it was about him. <laughs> and he said, you know what, you can share that story, but you have to share three caveats at the end of the story. And I said, okay, I will. So I'm gonna share those with you when we get done. But early in our marriage, we have actually been married, uh, it will be 23 years this fall. But early on in our marriage, we had one of those recurring fights that we just couldn't seem to get past. And it had to do with Eric's driving. Now, I know oh, the choir is laughing here today. I know that none of you will be able to relate to this, especially those of us that live here in the Chicago area. 
But it seemed to me that every time Eric got behind the wheel of a car, that some alien force would come in and take my normally kind and somewhat patient husband and turn him into a person that I did not want to be around. And it created so much stress in our relationship that we went through a period of time where I actually didn't want to ride in the car with him at all. And so over time, we had many conversations about this, and I learned from Eric that one of the reasons that he would get so frustrated, besides the obvious, as we drive in traffic and construction, but is because he had a certain belief that when he got behind the wheel of a car, that everything and everyone on the road around him would more or less act the right way that other drivers would follow the rules, that they'd be smart in their decisions, they'd be courteous, they'd be kind, they'd drive the right speed, no one would cut him off, and that we'd arrive to our destination on time, maybe even a little bit early, because in a perfect world, we'd never get behind a slow driver, hit a traffic jam, or run into a construction zone. And so over time, finally one day, just exasperated with this situation we were facing, I said to him, in uh, what I thought was some infinite wisdom, I said, what if when you got in the car, just what if, what if instead of focusing on the external circumstances around you that you have absolutely no control over, what if instead you focused your energy on what was inside, on the internal? What if instead you focused your heart and your mind on how you chose to respond to that over which you had no control? Now, I don't know if Eric remembers that conversation exactly as I just told it to you, but when I asked him if I could share this story, he said, okay, you can share that, but here's the three caveats. He said, one, let's acknowledge right here and right now that you come out looking way better in this story than I do. And I said, okay, fair enough. I'm fine to acknowledge that. I can live with that. And then he said, um, make sure people also know that your dad has always been a way angrier and more frustrated driver than I have ever been. And I said, okay, completely irrelevant to the story, but okay, I can, I can agree to that. And then he said this. He said, make sure you tell our church. Make sure people know how hard I have worked to allow God to transform me in this area and what a different person I am today because of it. And I thought, you know what? This is where we hit the goodness of this story. This is where we hit the goodness, not only of this story, but the story of Philippians chapter four, because we are going to see very quickly that Paul is using his final words in this letter to remind God's people that one of the most important things we can do in this life, regardless of what may be rushing by us outside our cars, welcome to 2020, anyone, The most important thing we can do is submit ourselves to the character of a good and gracious God. And we can let his power alone do the transforming work that we need in order to live the kind of life together that is filled with joy and peace and contentment. The kind of life that ultimately Jesus calls his church and calls each and every one of us as individuals to live 
together. Now let's set up a little context of Philippians just to remind us as we've been going through this for the last six weeks of where we're at and some of the very important things that Paul has already said to his beloved church so far. He begins with this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's Paul's prayer for this church. And he goes on to say, whatever happens, whatever life throws at you, whatever happens, you, you church, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Because someday, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so do everything, church. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Be a light to the people around you, Paul says, because then you're, you will shine like stars in the sky. And then he goes on to say, not that I, meaning I, Paul, not that I have already obtained all this. We know Paul had a messy life. He was not perfect. He says, not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of for me. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. I am faithful. I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And how do I do this? How do I do this, he says, because I know, and I want you to know that our citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth. And so when we get to the beginning of chapter four, our text for today, Paul begins with this little word, therefore. And I love when we see therefore in scripture because we just have to make a little note that someone just said a whole bunch of really good stuff that we need to pay attention to. And Paul just did that for the church. And so he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. In what way? in the way of life together that God made possible for us through his son, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, therefore stand firm. Now let's just pause for a minute here and talk about these two words, stand firm. Have you ever thought about what that means to stand firm? What images maybe come to mind? In fact, if you're watching and want to throw those in the chat right now, I'd love for you to interact with one another on what comes to mind when you hear the words stand firm. 
I know for me, as I was thinking about this this week, the first thing that came to mind for me was my physical posture. I want to widen my stance. I want to bend my knees. I want to stiffen my arms. Because all of a sudden, when I think stand firm, I think some force is going to come at me. Something is going to try to push me over or the ground underneath me is going to become unstable and I want to make sure I can withstand it. I think of standing on a boat in Lake Michigan and uh, standing there while another larger boat comes by and getting caught in the wake of that boat as the waves roll and just trying to brace myself and stand firm so I didn't get thrown off the boat into the water. I think of the time when my friend Nancy and I got caught in a snow squall on the top of a mountain on a pair of skis in Idaho, and the wind was so powerful that I thought, if I don't stand firm in this moment, it's just going to blow me right off the top of this mountain. I thought of hiking the Narrows last summer at Zion National Park with my kids with water up to my waist and the current pushing against my thighs, thinking if I don't stand firm right now, we're gonna get swept right down in the current of the Virgin River. What images come to mind for you? What are the forces right now in your life that are trying to push you off the mountain, to knock you off the boat, to sweep you downstream? As I was thinking about my images for a little while, I quickly realized, however, that I had a problem with the way I was thinking in the same way that I thought that Eric had a problem with his perspective when he got in the car. Because I realized that all of the solutions on how I was going to stand firm were based on my own power, my own strength, my own control, my own resources, and my own ability to physically withstand whatever was being thrown at me, whatever was rushing outside my windshield. And the Lord quickly reminded me that this was actually the antithesis of what Paul was trying to say in Philippians 4 about standing firm, because what Paul meant by standing firm was that it had nothing to do with external circumstances or our own human efforts, but instead everything to do with how the followers of the way, the followers of Christ, chose to anchor not their bodies, but their hearts and their minds to the foundation on which they stood. Anchor their hearts and their minds to actually believe that the foundation on which they stood was good and that it was gracious, and that it was never, ever move. Now remember, by the time Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he has been incarcerated for more than two years. He has been falsely accused. He is facing possible execution by one of the most deadly Roman emperors in the history of the world. And he writes to the Corinth church about his hardships. And I know we have repeated this throughout this series, but I think it's so important to make sure that we understand the context and the place from which Paul was writing this letter. He says this, I have worked much harder, 
been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold, and I have been naked. In other words, friends, the life outside of Paul's windshield has been a mess. It's been a really hard, painful COVID, quarantine, school closed, church closed, wedding canceled, funeral postponed, riots in the city, racial injustice, election 2020 kind of mess. We are in good company with our friend Paul. And yet, one of the first things that Paul says after he reminds the church to stand firm is this in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you don't get it, in case you didn't hear me, I will say it again, rejoice. And I don't know about you, but I want to say, what? Rejoice? Have joy? Express gratitude? Express delight? What is this all about? How can we do this? And yet, Paul actually repeats this phrase throughout the letter to the Philippians 15 times. 15 times he tells them to rejoice in the Lord. And we see not only in the letter to the Philippians, but he uses this in his writing over and over again to remind the believers, the followers of the way to rejoice in the Lord. And he is in good company because throughout scripture, we are told nearly 250 times to rejoice. And you know, it's not... It is not because life's circumstances have been easy for Paul or for the people of God. To the contrary, we see that since Genesis chapter 1, there has been no easy road ahead. And it's not because Paul is suggesting that we should never be angry or never be sad or never grieve or lament or be frustrated about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. In fact, not only would that be contrary to other scripture, it would be a really unhealthy way for us as believers to live life together. In fact, if you are finding yourself in a place where you need help with any of those things, we have Stephen ministers on staff. We can recommend you to a mental health professional if you need. One of our pastors will be happy to talk to you. All you have to do is email help at Christchurch.us, and we would love to help you in that space. So Paul is not saying never be any of those things, but what Paul is saying that while we don't have to rejoice for all things, we still can rejoice in all things. We don't have to be happy about the traffic jam, but we can still crank up K-Love while we wait 
and sing along to each and every song. Because while we don't always choose our circumstances, we can choose how we respond by believing that we stand firm on the eternal promises of the one in whom there is always something for which to rejoice. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it again, rejoice. And then Paul goes on in verses six and seven, and he says, by the way, while you are rejoicing, while, are you, while you are carrying this state of being with you everywhere you go, also, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just like Paul says to rejoice in all things and is not asking us to plaster a smile on our face and pretend that we are fine all of the time, he is also not expecting that we should never worry or that we should never feel anxious about our circumstances. Actually, based on the Greek here, we learn that Paul, what he is saying is not to become prisoners to worry. To not allow our life together as the body of believers to be categorized by perpetual worry. Jesus has a lot to say if you want to learn more about worry in the Gospels. Go read some of Jesus' words. But here Paul says, not never worry, but when you worry, when you feel anxious in every situation, choose how you are going to respond by getting on your knees on top of your foundation, releasing your control and trusting trusting that there is a Father in heaven who loves you and cares for you and hears every cry that is on your heart. He cares about every single detail that you're going through. And so Paul says, when you pray, not if, when you feel anxious, when you pray, what will happen? The peace of God the indescribable, inexplainable, overwhelming peace of God will invade your heart and it will overtake your soul in a way that you may never, ever understand, but you will never forget. I was at our worship Wednesday service this last week at our Butterfield location and my friend Janine came up to me. She asked me how my preparation was coming for this sermon. And she said, oh, you have Philippians 4. She said, oh, I love Philippians 4. I love these verses. She said, they've been life-changing for my husband, Dwayne, and I. And I said, Janine, how so? Tell me more. And she went on to share how a couple of decades earlier, Dwayne had received a cancer diagnosis. A cancer diagnosis that had historically had a very poor outcome for many of his family members. And so, as we can all imagine, he was incredibly anxious and fearful about the surgery he was going to have. And so they gathered a group together from the church they attended at the time. And this group came together and they prayed this scripture over him. And just to see the look on Janine's face as she was telling me this story, I could tell that that when she said what happened was a miracle, that it, it really was a miracle. Because she said nothing about 
their situation or their circumstances had changed, but their entire family, all of them, experienced a peace so profound that none of them would ever be the same again. She said to this day, they can barely talk about it without crying. God did a miracle. This is what God does in his peace. It's one of the mysteries of the gospel that that we don't have words for, that we can't explain, but we know it when it happens. And we know it when it happens, when we anchor our heart and our mind to our foundation, that we actually believe that God is who he says he is and trust in him to do what only he can do. I think it's also one of the reasons that Janine is one of our fiercest prayer warriors today in this church because she knows that God means what he says. Pray and I'll give you peace. So stand firm, rejoice in all things, pray in every situation. And then Paul says, fix your mind on the right things. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It's plastered all over our house. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and look what will happen. The same thing we just talked about, the peace, this indescribable peace of God will be with you. In 2005, the National Science Foundation published an article summarizing research on human thoughts per day. It found that the average person had up to about 60 thoughts per day. And of those thousands and thousands of thought, listen to this, let this soak in for a minute, 80% of them were negative, 80% negative. And not only that, but 95% of those thoughts were exactly the same thoughts as the day before. 80% negative, the next day you get up and 95% of those thoughts, 80% negative all over and over again. Friends, this is a whole sermon here that we don't have time to go into, but what it means is that we are really good, really good about reinforcing stinking thinking in our life. And this is not the life together that God wants us to have. Imagine the toll it takes on our hearts and minds over time and the damage it can do about what we believe about the foundation on which we stand if we don't choose carefully what we think about and invite the Holy Spirit when we're thinking about those wrong things to transform us into the whatevers that Paul is talking about in this verse. And his book, Anxious for Nothing, Max Lucado has this great image, and we'll move on to the next thing, but I want you just to think about this. He says, you, can, you get to be the air traffic controller of your own mental airport. How's that for choosing how we respond to something? Whatever is true, noble, lovely, pure, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Lastly, Paul goes on to remind the Philippians church about contentment. This way of life together involves being content. Not to grasp at material or or, or the external things that are rushing by our windows. And friends, in our western suburbs today, there is a lot of stuff rushing by our windows that we think, I want that, I want that, I want that. 
Why can't I have that? But that's not the way of life together that Paul tells us to do. He says, don't long for what you do not have. Don't be burdened by what you do have. Don't compare yourself to others based on what they do or do not have, but instead shift your heart. Shift your heart towards contentment, the internal sense of rest and peace that comes from being right with our Father in heaven. Because when we do this, Paul says, when we find contentment in our souls and with the things of this world, it leads to generosity. It leads to a generous life together because we know that not only is God of the universe in control of all of our circumstances, but he's in control of everything that we have. And when we recognize that, we can live a more generous life because we just let it go. We trust God with it. And so as in his closing words, Paul thanks the Philippians. He writes this little thank you note to them for the gifts that they had sent to him. And he says, actually, you're the only church. You're the only church that has provided for me financially. And I really appreciate that, he says. But even if you wouldn't have sent them, even if you wouldn't have sent the gifts, it's okay. Because Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret, he says, I can do all things through him. All things through Jesus Christ, this person that I have been talking about with you through this entire book, my rock and my salvation, my firm foundation, who I've been lifting up and pointing towards you, Jesus Christ, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So therefore, friends, as you go throughout your week this week, I would invite you to begin to reflect less on the circumstances that lie outside of our windshields that we cannot control and instead focus on what we can control, our response through the power of the Holy Spirit as we are transformed and submit ourselves to a good and loving and gracious God. Ask yourself this week, do you have a foundation on which you are standing firm. Friends, if you have been learning a little bit about Jesus or, or um, not sure where you're at with that, let me tell you today that you will never make a better decision than choosing Jesus to stand firm on. And if you need help with that, again, you can reach out to any of us at this church and we would love to share a little bit more with you about how you can do that. I'd ask you, who are you rejoicing in? Are you laying your anxiety and your worry at the feet of Jesus? What are you fixing your mind on? Is your soul content? These are big questions, big questions that have even bigger answers. But as we continue to seek God and trust him alone, no matter what is thrown at us in this season in 2020 or the years to come, Paul reassures us with his closing words to the Philippians, may my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus to our God and our Father, our foundation that we can rejoice in, be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen.
Thank you so much for being with us in worship today. I hope you were as blessed as I was by the beautiful music and just our time of being together. You know, this passage in Philippians chapter 4 is so deep and so rich. We could have done four different sermons just on some of those verses. So um, if you are interested, I came across, across a great resource by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing. It's a book. It's a Bible study. It's a, it's a study on right now media. If you want to go a little bit deeper, if you're struggling with anxiety or worry or just with the circumstances we find ourselves in today, it's a great resource that I want to commend to you as well. Well, friends, as we go forward this week and in the days to come in this life together as a body of Christ today, my prayer for you and my prayer for our church is that we would stand firm, that we would rejoice in the Lord always, that we would pray about everything, that we would fix our minds on whatever is lovely today that we'd be content, that we'd be generous. And again, I say it, friends, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and go in the presence and the peace and the joy of God this day. Amen.